Great, thank you. I'd like to invite up our final panel to the stage, please. After this, we have some cocktails we have scheduled for 4.30 p.m. We're going to try to end right on time. I know some of you have uh, dinners and flights to catch, as I do, so um, we're going to try to keep it right on time and get into the networking real soon. If we can ask you guys to step out, we're going to start the next panel here. Anyone who does want to network, if we can have you uh, step outside the room. We want to make sure and uh, get the next panel started, the next one or two minutes here, so that we're not delayed. And if our, um, as we get started here on the next panel, uh, our panelists will see there are some cards on the seats we're going to be using in just a minute. We have some uh, cards here on the seats that you guys can all uh, use during this panel. We'll be using them in a couple minutes here. Uh, we're going to be rating some one-liners on stage. I'm going to read them off and you'd give people a rating. So we're going to make this discussion panel a little more interactive than most of them. And uh, a little more helpful, so it's not just uh, uh, six, uh, five to six more experienced investment professionals telling you how they do due diligence or how they structure things. We're going to get some candid opinions uh, from them on uh, some one-liners and some positioning statements from the audience that we collected before the event. We're also going to go through three or four real quick questions here at the start uh, to get their opinions testing, and feedback testing. on uh, how they operate. and. Um, in a way to, that can allow you to get more deals done with them. So the topic of this panel is pitch me. Uh, investors want deal flow, but they can't respond to everyone. Lots of times there's frustrations in getting replies to emails, getting voicemails called back, et cetera. So we're just going to jump right to the first question that most people are most interested in, which is exactly what are you looking to invest in and what type of deal flow would you value more than anything else? And just to keep it moving fast, it's like you to keep it to one sentence, because the more specific you are, and the less of a paragraph answer it is, the more that likely you are to get that uh, from the audience here. Why don't we start down at the end of the, the row here? So what am I looking f to invest in? Yes. So I have a background more in technology, so I tend to look for businesses that I understand. So something in the tech field, I look for recurring revenue models. Uh, I like models that allow people to earn revenue without having to always have a new customer to bring those new revenue dollars in. Also, I'm a fan of scalable. I use an expression, scalable beyond borders. So, I'm, you know, lifestyle businesses or local businesses can be great businesses, but from my perspective as an investor, I look for businesses that can scale beyond borders. Great. All right. So, um, by us, we're looking for, for buyout uh, in different strategy right now and uh, buyout and turnaround. Uh, large and, and, and mid-cap um, and then uh, emerging. And then we also uh, invest along our families and through the network of our family on trusted relationships. And here we're looking for sector agnostic and stage agnostic. It depends on the, the situation. And, um, and so we're looking for Great funding team with um, with passion, um, who have the expertise, who have the board that goes with it, who already built their team, who have a little bit of traction, and are conscious about their competition, direct and indirect, and uh, are also conscious and kind of candid about the challenge that they have, and sure. speak to us about that. 
Okay. And uh, Nick, what about with your single family office? Should start in a second after you start talking if the light's on. We have a pretty, uh, no. oh, I can switch. Thanks, man. We have a pretty diversified portfolio in uh, public equities and fixed income and real estate, uh, but we are under-indexed in venture and particularly in startups. Uh, so we are looking to invest uh, not just directly in startups, but in uh, venture, new venture managers as well as fund of funds, uh, and we haven't set up the distribution thesis between them. Uh, Within that sub-asset class, uh, there are three hypotheses that we have done some research in. Uh, one is we strongly believe that there is a liquidity crisis among late-stage founders, and there needs to be a correction to that. Uh, second is we strongly believe that the real estate mortgage uh, and the classic way in which they're issued and traded in the secondary markets are up for renewal and change, and there, there's going to be some market capitalization created in that process. And the third is uh, public accounting. It hasn't changed in the last 150 years, and we think it's up for a renewal and change. So if there are venture managers or fund of funds or direct startups in that, we are interested in talking. Great. Thank you. Um, so I'm part of Johnson & Johnson, the broadest healthcare company, So, um, and I'm part of the venture capital arm, so we invest across healthcare to be generally honest, um, and we're stage agnostic. We have 2.5 billion under management, uh, 150 portfolio companies. Um, my specialty is in medical devices, specifically around um, the operating room. Um, so I spend a lot of time in operating rooms, um, as well as looking at technologies that can operate in there. Great, thank you. Hey guys, I'm Amrit Saxeta. My background is uh, I founded a couple and exited a couple of enterprise AI software companies, and I've been an active investor in the AI space early stage for, for a number of years now. Uh, what I'm focused on investment-wise these days is I've been building a private equity firm uh, focused on acquiring low-margin human capital intensive businesses that could benefit from automation AI technology. So I'm spending a lot of my time looking at atypical companies in the context of Silicon Valley Venture, but where we can leverage Silicon Valley Venture innovation to drive a lot of value and transformation. Great. Yeah. Hello. Uh, first of all, I'd like to thank Richard for the invite. Dan Galvanoni, DPG Investments. My family was behind the telecomputing success Telzon Corporation out of Akron, Ohio. We took 90% of the barcode reading space. Um, rolled up about 30 companies and then we formed a dual family office and then uh, at 22 I formed kind of a specialty finance private equity firm. I was a VC for a while up here with some major investors. We didn't do that well. We're a multi-strategy business. We like distress. We like real estate um, and we like specialty financed and specialty credit. We probably put out two billion of private equity. We're aggressively looking for opportunities and we have other very large families and institutions behind us were doing deals as big as a quarter of a billion to as small as a million dollars. Great. So now we're going to go through some uh, quick questions down the line. Um, should just really be a one or two word answer here, but um, we'll start with you, Dan, and just go down the line. How many of you use LinkedIn to network with potential investment managers, independent sponsors, deals that you might allocate capital to, either looking for thought leadership or new connections? in the investment management space? Uh, kind of a yes, no, or, or sometimes, I guess, type answer down the line. We put out about 100 million. 100 million through LinkedIn, cool. Uh, no for networking, yes for diligence. Great, ditto, okay. 
Yeah, no for direct investments, uh, yes for diligence, and particularly if there are common connections and other funds that have invested in you, we're definitely gonna call them up. I would say no for uh, due diligence, but yes for networking. I mean. Sure. I'd say yes on both networking and due diligence. Right, right. Uh, the report I'm about to state is a little bit biased because it came from LinkedIn, but it did a study and an analysis showing that 76% of institutional investors use LinkedIn to look for new investment theses, ideas, managers that they should be allocating to, and these are institutional investors who have the toughest checklists and are the most picky in big, uh, usually thorough due diligence processes. So I think that is interesting, and it's gonna combine with the next two questions here, and then we'll get to the point uh, of this line of questions. That how many of you uh, receive meaningful thought leadership that's just genuinely valuable in the mail, not in your email, but someone's taking the time to print it out and mail it to you um, to get your attention about their investment manager, their investment strategy, their real estate firm, et cetera. How many of you get um, more than a few pieces a month or even, uh, or want to comment on whether you get, get mail like that or not? Uh, we only get them after a meeting, so no, not much. Sure, anyone else? A few pieces a month, generally not that valuable. And you all get probably a thousand plus emails a month? Yeah, and most of them are BS. Right. Most of them are pitching you and not adding genuine value is the other half of the, the, the problem, right? The best value is in hearing a counterintuitive perspective to a thesis, and very few managers actually take the time to distill their thoughts down and write to a LP or an investor on why their counterintuitive hypothesis holds some strength, and that's extremely well needed. So please do that if you're not doing it already. Right, it's interesting that nobody is, is really doing that. Um, and I think that uh, Dan Kennedy says, if you're not sure what to do, just look at what everyone else is doing and do the exact opposite. Like stop emailing 500 investors, hoping some will reply and actually add value first and send something old school in the mail. If they're not worth paying a dollar postage to send it to them, then why are you communicating with them? Why are you trying to you know, uh, communicate with them at all? Um, yeah, I Richard, I'll add one more thing is that uh, we as investors have FOMO we don't want to miss out on the next big thing. We don't. We, our job is to allocate capital. So we read your email. So don't send us an email every two days, you know, asking if we read it. But if you're not going to add real value, then might as well not send it, exactly what Richard said, so. I would, I would add that there's very few uh, thought leader in the world. And um, I mean, we usually use uh, our GPs that we work with, um, that we know are, able to generate that thought leadership to uh, uh, that's the one that retain our attention in general. Right? Great, thank you. Uh, we've reviewed uh, 320 pitch decks now uh, with members in the Family Office Club. If you just became a member, you might not know that one of the benefits of membership is every three months you get to submit your materials and then uh, I'll look at it and I'll write up a two to four page analysis of if we were in your shoes, this is what would change on the website, the pitch deck, the one pager, uh, we wouldn't do this, maybe work on, on this or that, et cetera. And it doesn't cost anything extra, it's just a way for us to get to know you because during the cocktail networking hour, I don't get to meet uh, a lot of you face-to-face -face or during lunches, et cetera. Uh, and then that way we can help make connections between members um, you know, as we can. Again, we're not placement agents or investment bankers. But what's interesting is that while reviewing 315 pitch decks, plus the thousands I see otherwise in my inbox, uh, nobody has a video of the founder with 90 seconds or three minutes on here's our strategy, here's me being articulate, 
committed to my space, talking intelligently about our unique design, our four-step process to add value on ground leases or stem cells. Uh, zero people have done that out of 315 pitch decks reviewed. Two people had videos, but they are a little bit more uh, commercial kind of overview videos on their industry and they're educational. And I just want to comment on that if you've seen anyone that's making a good use of videos or any comments on uh, advice to people in the audience who want to take action on that and uh, to create better relationships with investors like you. So if you're going to send the video, one, make sure it works. Um, I, I can't tell you how many videos I've gotten sent that actually don't work and that's an issue. Um, but I would say in the healthcare space, we see it a lot, actually. Um, and it's actually really helpful when, you know, if, the, if it's an, an intervention inside the body and they're trying to tell us how the device actually works in the body, it's actually good to visualize it. So it, I think it depends on context. Um, if you're, you know, doing something in real estate, maybe you don't need to send a video of a, of a building or whatever you're doing there. But in healthcare, it makes a lot of, a lot of, uh, it makes it a lot easier to invest. Sure. In and uh, devil's advocate, I, I would suggest that walking, uh, if you're allowed to walk in through a self-storage facility you just acquired or, you know, showing actual location at the, the highway crossway where the office park is you acquired would be very helpful to some real estate people. But, yeah, it's interesting uh, that you do see it a lot in healthcare because uh, most of the investment industry is about a decade behind on using video and social media, it seems like. Can I make a, a sure. comment? So we run um, a couple of accelerators for startups. One of them is local here in the Bay Area. One is virtual, so we, we service mostly uh, global founders outside the U.S. And one of the requirements for us is to submit a seven-minute pitch. So we actually do get a seven-minute pitch from every member Great. that comes through. The other thing we recommend a lot, if you're going to send out a pitch, uh, like an exact summary or a pitch deck to an investor, we actually have them send out a narrated PowerPoint. So they do Great. get, it's not quite a video, but it's more in that direction than not. Yeah, it's a really good idea. And on the, your healthcare video comment, you talked about like, here's how our heart device works, maybe showing the mechanics of it and the parts of the heart that maybe, unless you're a cardiac doctor, you don't know. Um, I found that also, though, if you can make a personal connection, if you're raising capital, it's about trust and high conviction. So to combine the two, and we did a whiteboard animated video for Centimillionaire Advisors. I said, hey, I'm Richard Wilson. You know, I run Centimillionaire Advisors. I'm going to draw out real quick what I think about the ultra-wealthy direct investment space, and then I turn my back and start drawing on the whiteboard, and then someone who's much better drawing than me does the whiteboard animation video, and it kind of connected uh, personal with something that's much better than just watching me talk for, for three minutes. So it's an idea maybe some of you could steal and use for your own firms. I mean, I, I would say on a practical standpoint, I mean, we like to share pitch decks, etc. So if it's the video is embedded in the pitch deck, it can create problem because of the size of the file, and we... Uh, sure. whatever now there is link there is things so it's interesting to yeah to see a product to see a, a, a context or to have a, 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 a gut feeling about the team and the way they pitch and their passion sure. uh, to do screening I would say but um, practically it has to be uh, light Sure, sure. Yeah, to, to David's point, you know, don't embed your video in an email. No one wants to forward a 75 meg email to all their friends. Uh, put the YouTube link out. We're never going to steal your pitch. It is yours to keep. But, uh, but immediately after we like a pitch or a video, the first thing we start doing is start making reference calls. So one of the most proactive managers I've worked with, there were four GPs in a fund, and they all included 10 email addresses of their previous bosses or colleagues they worked in. Uh, after the second or the third email. So, so that's also very helpful. Great, thank you. Um, in a minute here, we're just going to do something to make it a bit more interactive. We're gonna read some one-line descriptions of some firms that are here in the room or submitted them before the event. 
and then I'd like you to rate them not on whether you personally want to invest in the company, but just when you hear the one-liner after seeing a thousand pitches maybe per year in your, your line of business, um, does it sound articulate, you know, somewhat unique, specific, clear about what they do? Or are you completely lost in this one-liner needs a lot of work because it, it really is not well-constructed and sounds like everyone else who runs a hedge fund or real estate firm, et cetera? Um, and the reason I want to do this is because somebody earlier on the discussion panel said you have one or two seconds to get my attention, otherwise you're gone. I've had people say 15 seconds, one sentence, you know, at the first sentence of your voicemail, otherwise I'm hitting delete if it just sounds like a random sales pitch. Um, so I think that sometimes people undervalue the importance of being highly intentional of how you're trying to be valuable to a potential investor. And I think what I found is that investors like this because they want you to be more concise. It saves them time. It makes their life harder when they have to read whole paragraphs to figure out what he could have said in a sentence or two. Um, and so I think it's good for, for everyone if managers get better at forming these one-liners. So we have cards here. I believe there are one, one through 10 today. There's one, three, five, eight, and 10, I think it is, uh, that they can hold up uh, and give a rating. And the whole point is to help the people who submitted these to make them better, but everyone else here in the room to also learn from it for your own uh, one-liner for your firm. So here's the first one. Uh, I am the founder of Nuvasive, and I put $6 million of my own cash into a low-cost spine navigation technology that I would like you to consider investing in. So is that clear, articulate, you know, you know what they do? You could see how it could make someone interested if they're in that space. And does anyone want to comment on why they maybe gave it a three or an eight? I was highest at the eight because uh, an investing person capital obviously shows a high degree of conviction, and I would like to hear more about what they're saying. And that's not, it's not a, you know, I'm going to invest no matter what, but this is a follow-on to, yeah. Sure. Just give me a little bit more, right, about what, what you're doing in that space. Um, sure. It's a little, spy navigation, it's a little vague. Sure, yeah, I know the, the worst one-liners when they say we're a, a private equity firm boutique in New York, you know, and you have no clue at all. And a lot of people <laughs> say that, or, or we're a uh, long, short hedge fund, or we're, we're a real estate investment firm, and that's how they introduce themselves, but then, you know, it doesn't mean anything, right? This one, uh, I can tell already is a little bit long, but uh, I'll read it off here. Catapult is a seed stage venture fund spin-out formed by highly successful alumni of top Silicon Valley VC firms that is leveraging the arbitrage opportunities of investing in the best startups from tier two markets outside of Silicon Valley, Valley where valuations and operating costs are dramatically lower and where capital remains under allocated compared to Silicon Valley. Uh, anyone have a strong opinion on this one that they'd like to share? Said every other VC firm ever. <laughs> everyone's trying to move towards the Midwest or the Southeast or some other regional area and, right. and as investors we all know that yeah startups are going to come from anywhere and you don't know where but more importantly it all depends on your proprietary sourcing hypothesis if you're a Silicon Valley VC and not, not willing to get on a plane to go to Memphis or Melbourne to source the next best startup then we're not investing in you already right I mean I, I, I think it's pretty clear uh, overall, so maybe there's a lot of people doing that, but I like the reference to uh, the background of uh, the founder, like sure. the other spin, because um, that's important, uh, and and it's pretty clear. But it's a bit long, maybe, right? And that could be a bit more precise in terms of areas of investment. 
Right. If anyone else has a one-liner this long, try to chop it in half. And anytime you're saying, you know, like the word Silicon Valley three times here, that's almost a sentence in itself with those six words. So um, try to never uh, repeat words in the one-liner. The whole point is that you only have a sentence to get someone's attention. So every word has to carry weight to it. And as you're creating it, you know, there's probably some words you know have to be in that one-liner. Uh, so working that over in many different versions, I think, is important. Uh, Godafas Capital Management LLC primarily seeks to invest in turnaround opportunities where technology or management improvements may arrest declining performances and trigger momentum. Great. No, no tens or ones yet. Either guys are too nice or you don't love any of them yet. But does anyone want to comment uh, on that one? I guess you rated it pretty high. Yeah, I mean. It Sounds like they have deal flow. I'll listen to them and see if they have it. <laughs> sure, sure. Anyone else want to comment before we move on to that one? A lot of middle of the road ratings. Uh, Table Rock Capital assists high net worth individuals and families to diversify into low income, affordable multifamily investments that benefit from stable in place cash flow and creative upside potential. So uh, multifamily is tough if anyone in here is in that space because there's so many of you out there investing in apartments. Um, how do you make it sound unique? So why don't we hear from someone who thinks they see a lot of real estate investment firms or wh what you liked about it? So you got three, three, eight ratings uh, there on the panel. Just Go ahead. Very simply, I would just say it, it, it's clear to me what they're doing. Sure. So if I need to know what they're doing, I get a sense of what they're doing. Sure, I'm sure. I'm saying I love the space, but I know what they're doing. Right, right. Great. Yeah, but we don't know how they're doing it differently from the crowded space where they are. So. It's true, yeah. I would just add that um, you know, it says creative upside potential. If it could be made more tangible about what that creativity is. You know, everyone thinks they're doing something creative, but then sometimes I find that they're new and what they think is creative. Like somebody sent us through our pitchdex.com agency, they said uh, our, our unique aspect in the industry is we invest in apartment buildings, but we put up 10% of the cash and we get cash flowing buildings and we look for places with good demographics. And like you said, like every other VC says, like every other multifamily firm does. That just means you're a multifamily firm in planet Earth in the United States. It doesn't mean that's your unique attributes, but they thought it meant that's what was unique. So I think having that perspective and bouncing this off of investors to see a lot of deal flow in your niche uh, is really important. We are JDI Ventures Real Estate, located in Southern California, acquiring existing conversions and new self-storage developments nationwide, utilizing our combined years of industry experience in building and development while creating a good return of investment for our investors who are seeking recession-proof deal flow in today's economy. Anyone feel strongly and wants to comment on that one? I've lost count of emails where managers say they are uncorrelated. If everyone's uncorrelated, then where's the correlation coming from? <laughs> right. Uh, so recession-proof, uncorrelated, you, you know, we hear that all the time. So, so sure. think deeper about how that's really working out for you. Personally, uh, it might be because they truly have a national track record already, but I think it adds credibility when there's more focus, like self-storage just in South Southern California, and then their expertise has a, a bucket around it. But also any time that I have to take a breath while reading it, it's not a one-liner. It's a, it's a mini paragraph and a run-on sentence. So I think that um, getting it so it could fit on a business card or almost in the subject line of an email and be the one-line voicemail that you leave, I think is um, 
kind of a, a critical thing. Anyone else want to comment on that one? I don't know how you do a one-liner to describe that like precisely and to get interest. To be honest, uh, that's pretty well described to me. Like maybe there's bit wide because it's nationwide, but they sure. have a track record. I mean, there's some elements that are interesting in it already. Yeah, in uh, helping uh, the 39 clients uh, through PitchText.com with their one-liners, we've found that if you can say something that none of your competition is saying or they can't say it, that that is very good because then it's going to stand out to the sophisticated investor. For example, one of our clients was in mortgage notes and they've closed 457 mortgage notes over 13 years. And using those numbers in the one-liner made it very tangible. This person's been doing one thing for 13 years and they've done it 457 times. And you can't say that if you start up yesterday. You could say best in class, creative solutions, blah, blah, blah. But saying you have 24 team members and you've done X number of deals in Y years, et cetera, or a certain number of AUM, I think adds a lot of credibility in our space uh, when you can encapsulate that uh, in a short bit. And at, at our uh, event this fall, because we have private investor summits on uh, September 24th, we then have one uh, in October in our 1,000-person event in Miami. At the September event, we're going to go through this exercise on brand names. So if you read the brand name, it's not why they submitted this, but JDI Ventures Real Estate. Do you know that they do self-storage? Do you know where they do it? Do you know why to work with them? We had Family Office Club, and then we changed it to Wilson Conferences uh, for a couple months and quickly realized that people want to be part of a Family Office Club, not Wilson Conferences, because it means nothing. And everyone uses a, a Greek god that if you don't look it up, no one knows what it means, or ABC Capital, or your last name, which doesn't matter unless someone's known you for a decade anyways, and then they'll work with you no matter what you call your firm. And so having a name that actually attracts business, makes it easy, obvious, removes friction, and the best names say what you do, where you do it, and why to hire you. But if it can't, which often it can't, then the one-liner can supplement it. And I think it helps business uh, move forward in a space where everyone's just seeing so much deal flow uh, at a time. XA Investments provides our clients with access to the leader in collateralized loan obligation market. Utilizing a new alternative credit fund that's designed to generate a strong level of current income and overall returns that are uncorrelated to traditional investments. So CLOs are toxic after the 08 crisis. So if you're going to say collateralized loan obligations, say why <laughs> very, very quickly. <laughs> Great. I think, it's a, I think it's a good point. I think that um, somebody mentioned uh, film financing on stage earlier today, and that's another area that just has uh, a bad reputation around it. So I think any, you have to be aware of the elephant in the room when you bring up certain topics and address it really quick in the same slide you know, are in the same breath, I think that's a good point. But uh, among, like in spite of the crisis, I mean, if you look at the, <coughs> the result of hedge funds over um, the long period, I mean, um, CDOs and MBS have done better than a lot of others, so. Uh, right, I think people just heard about it the first time during a meltdown, and then their brain, that's just uh, their one time that they read about it in the Wall Street Journal 17 times in a row, over a quarter perhaps, that's probably why there's some like public stigma around uh, perception of it. It's <laughs> my guess. Yep. Yeah, for my vantage point, a, a common problem with a lot of these one-liners is uh, there's a lot of buzzwords and obfuscation of, of real hard data. Um, so, you know, if it's uncorrelated, if it's actually doing well, if they've been in the business, they should say what those returns are or why right. you know, it's actually worth a conversation. Sure. I don't know if your microphone is working the best right there, but he's basically saying there's a lot of things that don't have, like, tangible numbers behind it or what their track record is or, or what their real uh, experience is. We're just going to share one more 
and then we're, um, we're out of time. Uh, and then I'll give the panelists uh, a chance to either comment on uh, the best suggestion for those in the audience who want to be accessing investors uh, like you, that you think everyone is, is not doing the right way uh, when raising capital and trying to attract family offices and investors, or an insight you have on these one-liners and being able to be very concise to get the attention of investors like you. But let's first uh, rate this last one here. VidDrop is a mobile app and web platform that's bringing the power of video to online shopping. We are like a Yelp meets YouTube for e-commerce shopping. Anyone want to uh, comment on uh, the rating there? No, no one gave it more than a, a five, it seems, and so no one really uh, loved it. Um, what would make it better for those of you that rated it kind of poorly? So p pitches that are easier, that says we are the Uber of X or Airbnb of Y are relatively easy to understand, but if your Yelp meets YouTube meets something else, it's then you have to, you know, it's hard to understand where the, the Venn diagram is meeting up and what you're doing. So. Yeah, that, that requires a little bit of thinking. <laughs> Yelps meets YouTube meets uh, Netflix and things like that. It's right. <coughs> using, again, buzzwords and buzz brands, let's say. And right, right. It also just doesn't seem dif particularly differentiated in any way. Uh, video and online shopping have existed uh, together uh, for a long time. Like, what, what is the competitive advantage here? Sure. Yeah, and I, I think like it kind of told us what it is, but to his point, it didn't go beyond. And I think that's a, that's where a lot of pitches or one-liner stop is. How are you different? Like especially in technology places, how are you differentiating what's existing in the marketplace? Right. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that is where a lot of pitch decks stop. The ones who actually take time to have like a paragraph that is pretty concise. Most people don't even have the one-liner, but the ones who have time to to kind of summarize it pretty well, usually are just stating what they do. We buy, we buy, you know, private equity companies, lower middle market in the stem cell space, and we aggregate those, we improve them with our experience, and uh, they leave it at that. And it's kind of a plain vanilla description of what they do as if they're telling a, a family member just at a 10,000 foot level versus making it really compelling and interesting and unique and making people want to uh, lean forward. Like for example, with uh, Canapreneur Partners, they have propri proprietary due diligence processes in a very in-depth, uh, sophisticated way of conducting uh, due diligence on uh, cannabis companies in the marketplace. So that's something when on the phone with them recently, you know, I said uh, when you're speaking at this other event that they have coming up that I would really press that or put together a white paper on that, that exact thing because it's something unique as a holding company in the space versus just saying, oh, we invest in the cannabis industry uh, and then there's no uh, unique kernel there I found. So. If anyone wants to uh, comment uh, you know, on this discussion panel topic of getting access to investors, everyone having too much deal flow coming towards them to pay attention to everything and has a comment for anyone in the audience to help them be more effective at closing deals with private investors, family offices, or something that you are hoping to get across on this panel and we didn't have time to ask one of the panel questions, I'm happy to um, have maybe just 30 seconds or a minute from uh, whoever wants to comment and then we'll, uh, we'll round it out for the day. So, so yours a more counterintuitive uh, mm -hmm. perspective to the <clears throat> one-liners we rated. Uh, one-liners that are not as easy to understand actually also help the pitch because in that case, whoever's pitching stops speaking and allows the investor or the LP to drive the conversation. So how does that work? Why CLOs? Why Yelp meets YouTube? And that is actually a good thing. I, I heard some of these pitches today and 
you know, the pitches where you as an investor are just not talking and constantly hearing a really excited manager or entrepreneur for a very long time are, are also the ones where you have dismissed them very, very quickly. Uh, so you want to not talk. You want to hear a no or we are not interested in this as early as possible or let the investor drive the conversation because if they keep asking questions and you keep answering them, the outcome's gonna be exponentially better for you than the other case, the other I, way around. I so actually summarize that for entrepreneurs because again, I'm usually dealing more with entrepreneurs than family offices and whatnot. I usually say if your lips are moving, you're not learning, right? So, so uh, ask questions, get them talking, right. learn something. So. so Nick, we talked about this last week in Dallas at the Investor Influence event, and there's a couple of people that were here. Uh, if this is your first event with us, we have private investor summits like this seven times a year. Our biggest one is 1,000 people uh, with 75 speakers on stage, but we also have workshops on investor relations and capital raising where we go through 120 slides, small group exercises, et cetera. And at our workshop last week, I said, like, this is gonna sound so dumb and simple and you all think you listen, but the number one complaint of investors when I interview them is no one listens to them. They come in, they pitch for 40 minutes, and they say, do you have any questions? So Nick, in your case, you run a single family office of significant size. A lot of people would wanna be doing business with you. You're saying a lot of people don't listen. They just pitch, 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 and you kinda just turn off to that. Why is it that everyone thinks they listen, but all the investors think no one listens to them? Because it sounds like too common sense of a thing for me to even suggest to people, like I'm wasting their time by saying it. Yeah, f yeah, I couldn't agree more, Richard. First of all, the, the list of questions you had posted on your website, some of them actually scare me. So really ask questions to investors. Really ask them what they're investing in, what their investment hypothesis is. If you're investing in cannabis or collateralized loan, ob loan obligations or an e-commerce startup, you know, just say that and, and stop speaking and ask them, you know, what do you think about this field, honestly? Because you think you're coming into a pitch, you're gonna talk for 30 minutes and get a quarter million dollar check and leave the room happy. That's not going to happen, right? Your best case scenario is the investor recommends it to some, their colleague who is really an expert in their field and they help take it forward. That warm introduction is gonna help you much, much better. And for the in investor to make that warm introduction, they need to finish your sentence. They need to understand your pitch as much as you understand them. And the only way they'll do it is by asking questions themselves. A as an entrepreneur uh, or a manager, we respect you a lot. You have given a lot of time and hours into understanding your business, understanding your thesis, but use that to answer questions instead of giving them the answer book in the first, you know, 30 minutes nonstop. Does that help? Right. I think that is uh, really helpful. And to Andres' point in the, m in the morning when he's talking about how important it is to have a manager's you know, contents be visually appealing, the most important part of it is if you can't show a picture of how you add value to the industry or you can't say in a sentence, et cetera, and you haven't refined your thoughts to the point where visually people just get it instantly and say, wow, that's really innovative, I get what you do and it's excellent, then that, that's where it misses the mark when you can't communicate in a very clear, concise way I found and uh, my most valuable phone calls like yesterday we got a cold call in from a family 14 million in cash 48 million illiquid and it lasts nine minutes and the next step is meeting in person and then that meeting is probably not going to last two hours etc and uh, my most valuable phone calls are all seven to twelve minutes you know very busy straight to the point figuring out what the next step is and moving to the next step not trying to sell someone within an essay email or a very long pitch phone call etc and on that point I think you know, we do diligence on companies, you know, but you guys should do diligence on investors. Know who you're talking to, know what they've invested in, know what their theses have been. Like, it's out there, right? It's in the space, um, whatever it may be. 
figure that out and make sure that you're prepared on that end when you come into the room because that'll make a more engaging discussion, right? Because you'll know, hey, you know, if you invested in X, Y, and Z, you can ask and you can talk about why you invest in X, Y, and Z and how that correlates to what you're doing and how you're changing the, your space and, and make the correlations and, and it'll make a more engaging discussion. If you sit there and talk for 40 minutes, honestly, half the time, most people's phones are pinging. They're not paying attention. They're doing other things. So make an engaging discussion, keep their attention. Yeah, I think it's a, uh, a really great point. And almost all the ultra-wealthy have a thesis, their unique strategies, their view on the world. And if you listen first, you can fit in what you're doing with their co-GP preference or whatever, right? Yeah, and yeah if, uh, if you don't uh, fit I would, I would, I would add, um, so when we are at the level of already the meeting, we've already done some screening before, already checked, um, um, maybe called some people, etc. So, um, yeah, the goal is to have a conversation. It's not, not to get a pitch. There is a culture of pitch here, elevator pitch, etc. So people have like this habit to do that and to go right in, right out the bat in it. But that's not really what we're looking for, um, right? In general. Great, thank you. Yep. I was just going to make a comment. You you were bringing up LinkedIn earlier. I use LinkedIn a lot. I have a lot of uh, connections. So a lot of the entrepreneurs that I deal with through my accelerators will often email me and say, hey, can you can introduce me to so-and-so who you're connected to? We've even taken to the point of templatizing that. They have to send us a template that we've crafted that says, here's why I want to connect to them. Here's the things I noticed in their background that I think they would be interested in what we're doing. I recently saw them on a YouTube video. Like, we make them go and do some homework on the people. I think exactly to the points being made here. Do your homework, but we kind of force it by way of providing them a template that almost makes them do that before we're willing to make the introductions. Yeah, that's great. That's excellent. Uh, the, 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 uh, I mean, I don't know why everybody's talking about LinkedIn. And LinkedIn uh, there's not a lot of quality relationships um, built on LinkedIn to me. I mean, like, um, personal, that's my personal experience. Uh, and, and the pitch that we're receiving in general are not very, are very quickly uh, dismissed. Right. I think there's a huge volume of people using LinkedIn. Yeah. So it's a one of 500 thing, just like anywhere else uh, in general, except for a close referral. But we just had a $900 million family reach out three weeks ago cold uh, on LinkedIn because they found us on there. So it's one out of a the 500, uh, you know, type thing and how to be helpful to a larger community, I feel like. But um, any other last comments before I round it out? I think in the end it really comes down to personal relationships. So try to get a meeting with the person and if someone likes you, it's pretty hard to say no. Right, uh, Jeffrey Gittimer says uh, the world is unfair and that's the good thing because people will do business with their friends more than strangers. And uh, anything digital we talk about, using, using text messages to get meetings with investors, using video, using LinkedIn, using a paper newsletter that no one wants to bother to use because that's too much effort, uh, even though that's the faster route to actually getting someone's attention, adding genuine value first. All of that stuff is just a conduit and a catalyst for getting more in-person meetings so you can actually you know, add value first. I'll just add one counterpoint. I, I mentioned I run a virtual startup accelerator. I've not met one of my founders and we've worked with over 100. Wow. And, and it's a paid program, it's not a free program. So they're paying, they're spending 12 weeks with us, I've not met one of them, and we develop relationships even just through the means of how we're doing it online. So I think it can do it, it depends on the individuals. Right, right, yeah, my, usually, uh, you know, uh, usually when you're raising more than, uh, you know, Five, ten, twenty-five thousand dollars. You know, many in-person meetings are required, so it's very, very challenging. But uh, that's interesting. I think there's going to be more and more 
virtual type connections being made every year as people get more used to that technology. So Don't tell anyone who got married on Match.com that those <laughs> kinds of relationships don't work. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, all right, well, I know we went uh, 12 minutes into drinks, so I apologize for that. I just thought we were getting some really good content from the panelists. Before we break, uh, Jennifer is here. If you're a new member and you haven't scheduled a walkthrough, please schedule a walkthrough phone call. It takes seven minutes. She'll show you how to use the portal. Andres is here from PitchDex.com if you have questions about that platform. And then we'd love to see you at our event August 1st in Miami or September 24th in New York for a private investor summit. Just go to familyoffices.com to see the event schedule. Thank you and uh, enjoy the drinks. <laughs>